This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. Welcome to On the Cover, a weekly Mad Splainers feature. I'm podcast producer Natalie Yar. If you've listened to the podcast before, you know that most weeks I talk with the reporter behind the latest cover story. This week, I'm that reporter, but what's on our cover isn't a story per se. This week's big project is a collection of the words of nine activists behind the ongoing protests against police violence and systemic racism. We wanted to capture the motivations, hopes, and fears that were keeping them in the streets or raising their voices for change. So on today's podcast, I want to share with you a bit of what I heard. These are the voices of six local organizers or protesters. First up is M. Adams, a fixture in the fight for racial and gender justice in Madison. She's co-executive director of Freedom Inc., a Black and Southeast Asian nonprofit organization working to counter root causes of violence, poverty, racism, and discrimination. You might be familiar with Freedom Inc.'s vocal campaign to remove police from schools, but much of the organization's work is actually about youth development and supporting survivors of gender-based violence. I heard M talk in other interviews about how she approaches her activism scientifically, and I asked her what that meant. I think when people are focused on how they only feel about policing, then it's easy to wind up doing things that we think will change somebody's heart Mm. and hope that the changing of their heart will then help them see your humanity. And I understand why people do that because I think to be black is to know how everything around you seeks to make you feel less than human or seeks to go against your humanity. A scientific perspective on the policing question would ask, what is the fundamental? It's almost like a physics, right? And that's what physics seeks to do is seeks to explain the universe and as few laws as possible. So a, a, a physics perspective, if you will, a scientific perspective would say, what is at the root? What is the fundamental root that is facilitating this thing to happen, that allows this thing to happen? We have assessed that the fundamental issue as to why the police are able to murder Black people with impunity is because Black people do not have the power over police. So other people have tried to answer this question by saying the issue is that we're not transparent. But if we observe that scientifically, the footage is there. We've seen hundreds of hours of Black people being murdered. The footage is there. Things are transparent. We all saw George Floyd's video. It's transparent. And even when there's not a video like George Floyd, if it's Breonna Taylor, we still know what happened, right? So this is what we say about Tony Robinson. We know what happened. So it's not actually transparency, though some people have argued that. And some people tried that, tried, you know, have fought for body cameras, and we still see police murdering Black people. And I think the cop had a, um, a body camera on when they murdered Eric Gardner, right? And so then we can say, well, for people who are saying accountability, people cannot be accountable to something that does not have power over them. If you do not have power of something, you can suggest, mm. you can recommend, you can hope, you can beg, you can plead but you cannot make them accountable. Mm. And so when we dug inside of this accountability question, we recognized that the fundamental issue we were were experiencing is that we did not have power over the police. And power was at the root. So Stokely Carmichael, 
who is a black freedom fighter, um, most famous in like the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s. He once said, if a white man wants to lynch me, that's his problem. If a white man has the power to lynch me, that's my problem. Racism is not just attitudes, it's power. And so applying that here, black people as a class, we do not have the power to regulate the police. We don't. If I'm here with my child and the police officer busts in here and they grab her and they beat her, there's actually nothing I can do. You can't stop them. You can't outweapon them. The law doesn't back you if you intervene. And this is the thing about George Floyd. Had one of those people intervened and tried to defend him, they would have been murdered also, right? That's the unspoken thing. You don't, you can't actually do anything about this. If you've been to any of the evening protests or kickbacks around the Capitol, you've likely seen or heard Ayomi Obuse. Ayomi is an organizer with Impact Demand, a new youth-led organization pushing to change policing policies. The 19-year-old says she's shy, but she's been speaking up about her concerns. I asked her whether she thinks the problem with policing is about the relationship with Black communities, like how Black communities feel about police, or if it's something deeper. I think the relationship between the, uh, my community and the police, there really is none. There hasn't been one for a long time. The events that have been happening recently have been here forever, you know? It's just now we have legal evidence of what has been going on for a long period of time. For example, the police department here has to rotate all the time of the police rotate. So they never get the chance to even build up that rapport with the community members, with citizens. I always thought that like growing up and you see, you have to tell your little brother to put his hood down, for example, or tell him how to act and talk and how to make himself appear less than he is so that somebody that's carrying a weapon cannot shoot at him even though he's unarmed. Like you have to teach your your siblings and your children to be scared. You have to, and it's weird because you want to build them up, but you have to teach them to hold themselves down and to limit themselves because somebody might not know how to do their job correctly. So there's, there's the relationship, is, there's not really one there. One group often left out of protests is kids. Alexis Dean, a teacher at Mendota Elementary, knew kids were thinking about many of the same issues and might not have a place to talk about them. So he teamed up with local tech and media company Infamous Mothers to put on a virtual conference where kids could talk through their feelings. But I also wanted to hear about how talking to kids, especially little kids, might be giving him insights into this moment where so many people are rethinking the role of police and asking basic questions about what's right or fair. For instance, like the kid that I nanny, he's four years old. When we talk about, like, when he talks about Spider-Man and bad guys and stuff, he doesn't say, I'm going to kill the person. I'm going to kill the villain. He says, I'm going to catch the villain. So if you can't chase that person and catch them, then you, you that villain is gone or that person is gone for another day and you catch them for another time. That was, that's something that's been, that constantly gets to me when people are shot in the back for running. Just because they are getting away. If they're getting away, it's because the police officer probably isn't trained enough to catch the person and they they took your taser or they got you on the ground. And that's kind of your fault. But in your mind, you shouldn't be instinctively wanting to kill somebody. This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. 
Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. Of course, not everyone has welcomed these protests or the policy changes they're pushing. Protester Johanna Heinemann Piper, who rides around Madison in a BLM mobile emblazoned with phrases like, white silence is violence, has heard the pushback. But as a transracial adoptee who went on a sort of racial identity journey herself just a few years back, she's seen her own understanding grow, and she thinks others can change too. I'm, I'm in a training right now for my electrical apprenticeship, and there's, there's this one white man, uh, and I really hope to kind of have conversations with him, who said that he's frustrated with all of the news headlines. He's tired of, of hearing about all the issues that are going on right now. And I'm like, you know what? I'm tired of them fucking happening. <laughs> How about that? How about that? We shouldn't have to have these conversations about race and racism. We shouldn't have to, but we do because of all the systemic issues. Um, so I'm feeling all sorts of ways right now. As much as I want to be optimistic about it, people, and I mean, I'm speaking for myself too, mm-hmm. change is hard. I, I'm not a huge fan, fan of change. However, I am a fan of change when it improves the quality of life for people, animals, the environment, all the above. And the problem is that we are so set on our ways in a society. And I have had to unlearn so many things already. And I know I'll continue to. It's an ongoing process. And the problem is, is that everyone's at a different place in their own personal processing. And what that means is that the average processing time, let's say, for the nation then is pretty darn slow. Because you have some people that just won't. And they just won't. They won't wear a mask. They won't, they won't do the research. They won't do whatever. It's like, okay, great. So you're at a zero. And I'm probably at like an, an 80. And that still just means that the national average is going to be quite low. So that means change is very unlikely to happen as quickly as we need it to. And I'm reminded of that every time I talk to, to my grandmother. My, my birth grandmother was a Black Panther. She's an inspiration. The problem is, is that we shouldn't have all these inspirating people who are decades and decades older than we are that have been doing the same work. <laughs> we should be inspired by them to do something different, to do another kind of innovative thing, not just fight the same battle over and over in a different way, in a different state. The ongoing protests have brought about a range of emotions, from sadness to despair to hope. I asked protester Andy Janeway, who can often be found at Madison protests, blocking traffic, administering first aid, or handing out bottles of water to anyone who asks, how they've been feeling lately. I'm personally, um, I'm ready. (laughs) I feel like that's just, especially over the last couple of weeks, just feeling more and more ready and also a little like, actually that's a lie, not a little, a lot impatient. I'm ready for more to be done, whether that means more, more effective protesting or more tangible change. At this point, I feel right now that at least in Madison, it's falling into the very Madison specific trap of, well, we marched and that's enough. We showed up, we did something. So we're done being activists today. I was talking yesterday to a group of protesters about how I personally believe Madison to be the national capital of negative peace because 
so much of the sentiment shared in Madison, especially by white people, is this idea that peace is better than what it takes to achieve justice. And I don't personally agree. I feel like a lot of people are more committed to doing the pleasant thing than doing the necessary thing. And sometimes the necessary thing is to be pleasant and to be quote unquote peaceful. But I feel like they're so lost in this idea of being peaceful that they don't understand that in an oppressive power system that is predicated on violence against certain demographics, any opposition from those demographics will be seen as violence no matter how objectively peaceful it may be. And when you're playing a losing game like that, sometimes the only way you can win is to literally flip table. One thing that's clear, Madison's protests are about far more than the killing of George Floyd or even police killings in general. Racial disparities in education, health, and income have plagued the city for decades. Brandy Grayson, founder and CEO of the nonprofit Urban Triage, can often be found at the front of the crowd, perhaps on top of a car with a megaphone in hand. She's lived in Madison since she was 10 and asked what it would take to make Madison a place she was proud to call home. Um, radical change. It would be amazing if uh, 10 years from now, we're looking back and I'm like, you know, the rebellion took off across our country and across the globe for Black lives, right? And Madison responded in a radical way. We elected Black officials, and not just Black officials, but people with the appropriate analysis, right? Because white supremacy isn't about color. It really is about the mental conditioning and societal conditioning of living in this culture, right? Um, so for me to be proud, to be like, looking back 10 years, we have bars and restaurants on State Street owned by Black people. We have bars, liquor licenses that aren't restricted by music. You know what I mean? Like we have mental wellness services and community centers owned and operated by Black people for Black people. We have youth programming that's really focused on empowering breakthroughs and transformation within our community. We will have allocations, reparations, right? We'll have a reparations fund that's specifically for the empowerment and building Black people up and vulnerable people up to be present in their life and self-sufficient, right? We'll have conversations rooted in not just equality, but real equity, where we're looking at what's required to service people and meet people where they're at, you know? In a public education system that no longer has the worst educational gap in the country, right? Like we have addressed our education gaps our disparities are going down. Like that, that would make me proud to be, you know, a Madisonian. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this special edition of the Madsplainers. Tune in next week for a conversation about our next cover story. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to the Madsplainers on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you do your listening, and leave us a review while you're there. Also, be sure to check out our other podcasts, including The Corner Table, all about food and drink in Madison, and Wedge Issues, all about state politics. Until next time, thanks for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation. 
the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.